Welcome to the GE Aviation Podcast. I'm Glenn Davis, the Director of Rotorcraft Marketing. Joining us today here in Lynn, Massachusetts, the home of the first U.S. jet engine, is Tom Champion, the Director of Advanced Turboshaft Demonstrator Programs, and John Perkins, who's the FATE Program Manager. We're going to talk to Tom and John about the future affordable turbine engine, or as we call it, FATE. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So FATE is an Army program, and I'm going to ask you to help us understand why it's important, what's been accomplished thus far, and, and what GE plans to do with the engine in the future. But first, our audience probably doesn't know that both of you served in the military before joining the company. If you could, tell us a little bit about your role there and maybe one of your best stories from your experiences. Uh, so uh, this is Tom. I'll go first. Uh, I was in the U.S. Army. I was in the active duty for seven years before departing active duty. Uh, I was an Army aviator. I flew OH-58 Alpha Charlies, which are essentially Vietnam-era uh, helicopters. Yep. And I had various roles, platoon leader, company commander, uh, division staff officer before I left active duty. Uh, and then I, I stayed in the reserves and guard and, and was working at GE when I had the distinct pleasure of being called up from the individual ready reserve for, for a year in Baghdad and spent, spent time in Baghdad as a staff officer. So that's kind of my Army Army's, uh, background and uh, just a real quick story. Uh, it's not really funny or anything, but uh, just from the what happens when things don't go well uh, on engines, and of course this is 1960s technology again, but we have chip detectors for our engines on those old aircraft. And when you get a chip detector, you gotta take, make a precautionary landing because you don't know if a bearing's about to come apart or something like that. So uh, depending on where those chip detectors come on can leave you in you know, places that you don't wanna be. So fortunately for me, I never actually flew in combat. My, my flying days were all during peacetime, and but <clears throat> we had a chip detector and had to land next to Highway 101 in in California, and uh, right during rush hour traffic. <laughs> so as we're sitting there, you know, tying down our aircraft and calling to it back to our post, which is probably an hour and a half drive away, to get a mechanic to come up and check the chip detector and make sure we could go fly back home. You know, all the all the rush hour commuter traffic was driving by and giving us beeps and waves and we got to you know experienced rush hour that way nobody so, was, nobody decided to come pick you up huh no nobody came to the, no flat bank trucks to put the helicopter on <laughs> stick your thumbs out and so uh having robust uh lube systems that don't uh, generate chips is uh, something for all our engineers to to work on so we don't get leave pilots stuck in some worse places than i got stuck in like behind enemy lines or something like that. <laughs> great, great. <It's> Highway 101. <laughs> so on the other side of the fence, uh, you were in the Navy, is that correct? That is correct. So I was, uh, this is John, I was in the Navy for six and a half years. Um, got out last August before starting here uh, at GE. I was in the submarine force, so I like to say that uh, the biggest GE product I ever got to use was the nuclear reactor and the uh, 3,000 kilowatt steam turbines that were behind it. Um, my story doesn't necessarily end with a moral to our engineers about building our engines uh, for that reason. However, uh, one of the stories that come to mind when I was thinking about this, uh, our training, you know, when we used to have inspection teams on board, pre-deployment inspections, uh, we were an East Coast boat out of Groton, Connecticut, and uh, we would do our training down off the coast of Florida uh, because there was typically high contact density with uh, merchants and fishermen and that kind of thing right off the beaches. 
and that would simulate some of the areas that we would go and operate. Um, and one of the things that's hardest to do in that kind of contact density is come up from deep underwater to near the surface where you can stick the periscope up and communicate uh, and see what's around you. Uh, since when you're underwater, you're only operating by sound, you have to pick a safe place to come up to periscope depth based on you know, what your sonar signals are telling you. Uh, so it was always a good exercise, and with inspection teams on board, it was always you know, the captain or the second in command that were trying to take the boat up you know, to simulate a, a mission or a hostile environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we went through this whole process of safely coming up to periscope depth and the captain proudly told the inspecting officer who was senior to the CEO of the ship how he was safely going to come up to periscope depth and how he had made his assumptions. And the uh, inspector said, okay, very well. And so we came up to periscope depth, did our initial search routine, and uh, on about the, I think, 3 o'clock position coming around on the periscope, there was uh, Fisherman Bob and his... <laughs> uh, son with a cooler about maybe a hundred yards away waving at us uh, from their ship and everybody on the boat could see it because the periscope image would be up on the TVs and so um, you know it was a it was it was a little bit fun uh, as a junior guy on the boat watching the captain make a mistake like that because uh, you know as a as a ship driver myself you know you certainly made mistakes and, and it kind of made you realize that that uh, mistakes happen. Uh, it was a funny story, you know, like I said, I was a submarine guy, so I don't necessarily have stories that result <laughs> in uh, morals for our engineers, uh, but I'm certainly happy to be here and uh, certainly learned a lot of lessons in the submarine force that hopefully uh, I can bring to, to GE. Great, well thank you so much for sharing and again, thank you for your service. But uh, obviously we're here today to discuss the FATE program and kind of let our audience members know a little bit more about uh, what we're doing on the program, why it's important, and how it got started. So let me just start with a simple question. You know, why was the FATE program launched uh, by the Army and, and really why was GE selected in order to participate? The FATE program is part of the Army's science and technology uh, budget that they that they're out trying to make sure that they are developing the technologies today that our, our armed forces are going to need, you know, five to ten years into the future to uh, maintain our technological advantage in the world. And so five years ago, the Army uh, was looking at, um, and we're going to talk about this more in the, in, later, I think, you know, what's the next generation of rotary wing vertical lift aircraft because the current fleet is getting a little long in the tooth, and what engine technologies do we, do we need to be maturing today to be ready for that? that uh, future fleet of aircraft and so they have uh, over the years run several full engine system demonstrator programs where you put uh, all your latest and greatest technology to try and prove it out and and progress the technology readiness levels so that eventually you can transition that into a production product so back then they were looking to, uh, that the the future of what future vertical lift aircraft are going to look like is was a little murky and it's maybe a little less murky now but still somewhat murky and so they said hey we're, we're looking for a, a, a new centerline engine in the five to ten thousand shaft horsepower range because there wasn't anything really new at out there in that range at that time we hadn't qualified our t408 yet so the t408 is really the only new engine in that class in decades and decades and so that's what they were looking for and so we at ge had just made a lot of investment in test cells and facilities for, for a GE38 sized engine and we said 
if we take a G38 sized engine and put all the latest technology in it, that's going to grow that 7,500 shaft horsepower of a, of a T408 G38. So the engine itself, will it be an actual product or is this is more of just, this is the technology in order to inform a, a new product? It, it uh, ultimately it's a technology demonstrator. So uh, at this time, unlike uh, the advanced affordable turbine engine, which uh, was the predecessor to this FATE program, that eight program turned into a prototype for ITEP. Okay. Right now, there's no plan for uh, doing that with the FATE program. And in fact, as the requirements for these future uh, vertical lift aircraft start to firm up, the Army looks at this as this is a technology suite that's being advanced that we will then have to scale to whatever the aircraft actually needs. So John, can you speak a little bit about some of the program goals? What, are, what is GE trying to accomplish with this with this technology? Sure. Uh, so as Tom kind of already alluded to, you know, we're building a full engine, uh, two full engines in, the, in, in this program. However, it's really meant to demonstrate the technologies within or the individual technologies within the engine. But the engine itself, so some of the goals of the program uh, include a 35% improvement in SFC, so specific fuel consumptions, essentially uh, a measure of uh, fuel efficiency is related to thrust, uh, an 80% improvement in power to weight, 20% you know, life improvement, and then uh, approximately 45% in production and maintenance costs. Uh, when, when you think about these numbers, uh, they really are just numbers, but they're, they're pretty massive uh, in the grand scheme of things. To put it in perspective, you know, a, a, an SFC improvement is something that the commercial world is looking at right now for your wide body and narrow body turbofan engine product lines. Uh, you'll see a lot of companies out there are switching up to either the uh, Leap engine or the GENX engine, um, and you know comparable SFC improvements of 15 to 20 percent. You know we're looking at maybe 35 percent. Uh, so we're we're really uh, leaps and bounds over what fielded engines in the turboshaft market can do right now uh, for fuel consumption. Power to weight ratio. So this is big, especially for our, our military customers as they look forward to their future vertical lift and their their future of helicopter flight. Uh, as they want to carry, you know, more troops further, faster. Um, and so, you know, the power to weight, if you can do more with, with less weight, then that's more weight you can have in the cockpit and uh, more weight you can carry. Uh, and, of course, cost is always a factor, which is, you know, why we see that, you know, both design life improvement number that is a goal and, and the uh, improvement in production and maintenance cost. Uh, ultimately, cost is a driver for any customer and, and the government is no different uh, with their their budget constraints especially these days thank you so Tom back to you uh, how, how are we doing how is GE on with respect to the program and, and what's the timeline going forward on the fate well so at this point we've we uh, you know start out this is a brand new centerline engine so we had to go through the full design NPI design cycle through a detailed design review we accomplished that as part of the maturation we had several rigs planned in the program, and at this point, we've successfully run a, a full axis centrifugal compressor rig. We've run our combustor rig. Uh, we've run an inlet particle separator rig. We've run a high-pressure turbine rig, and uh, we've cranked in some uh, improvements based on those test results. And uh, and at this point, we're nearing a completion of assembly of our first engine to test and we're really looking forward to having that engine running demonstrating uh, excellent progress towards the goals that John just talked about 
but we're in a really good place. We've got uh, really expecting really good performance out of this first engine and uh, being able to really demonstrate uh, the technical readiness level six, which means we've taken these technologies and demonstrated them in an engine environment is, is going to be really huge for the company. It allows us to, uh, to take those technologies and use them wherever they make sense, including fielded engines. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the technology that's going into these this engine and, and what's being demonstrated here. Can can one of you just comment briefly on some of the specifics around some of those technologies? What what type of things are are we developing that are being demonstrated in this program? Sure. I mean, I, I'll talk about a couple of them. Uh, so uh, CMC, you know, is a is a somewhat cutting edge technology. Um, you know, it enables us to have the strength or better strength than metal, um, but at a fraction of the weight. And CMC again stands for? Ceramic matrix composite. Great, you make thank me think you. about that there for a second. <laughs> nice <test>. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it's a, a pretty simple concept that we're going to prove that it's as strong as metal and can do everything metal can do, uh, but at a fraction of the, uh, of the weight. And um, so, so I, you know, I, just on that, so we're, we're introducing CMCs in some of our latest commercial engines and on this de demonstrator program we're just kind of expanding the areas where we can use these things and uh, and as John mentioned the the high temperature capability and the, and the lightweight are really the things we're going after there so uh, you know and, and obviously 3d arrow throughout all of our airfoils you know front to back brings huge huge uh, benefits including some some areas where we haven't fielded uh, turboshaft engines with maybe 3D sure. aero. So those are, those are two biggies. Yeah, so we're proving a couple technologies in, in parallel with the engine. Uh, one of them is what we call ASTRO, which stands for Autonomous Sustainment Technology uh, for Rotocraft Operations. And, and really the bottom line with this is it's it's a, a program that's going to mirror, or I guess I should say it should parallel the performance of our engine with its digital twin. Um, as a, most people know, GE is, is making a large push to bring our industrial product base into the digital era. And uh, Astro is, is a program that we're going to prove on fate that really helps us bring our, our turboshaft product lines into the digital era. How can, we, um, how can we track our engines? How can we monitor them for health management and, and you know, see issues uh, sooner? And, and use this technology to improve our time on wing, uh, which ultimately will, will help save cost. Um, basically, it's a building block for what we in the company call the digital twin, right? So right. It's, it's basically... So can, just, can you expand a little bit on the digital twin for those of us who might not understand exactly what that means? <laughs> so the digital twin uh, is essentially you have some piece of infrastructure equipment that uh, GE manufacturers like, uh, turbine engine or turbo shaft engine or uh, you know a big steam generation uh, power turbine or turbine and the digital twin is modeling that operation of that engine in the digital environment with highly evolved uh, digital models that replicate and are actually using data from the sensors on the engine to in a digital world replicate sure. that engine and be able to really forecast how it's performing, where where you can better optimize performance, when when it's going to need maintenance next, and specifically what is going to need maintenance. So it's it's really squeezing out 
all the operational efficiencies of the actual physical asset by using the data off of the physical asset to model it in a digital world. Wow. Definitely the next revolution of, uh, of how we use data to monitor the, uh, the physical world. So, Well, I really appreciate the time today. Uh, any kind of closing comments, what's next for the program and uh, any parting thoughts? Sure. I mean, just so a general timeline, we, we talked about a number of the rigs we've done and uh, we're very excited that within the next uh, month or two here, we're going to actually be able to prove that all these individual technologies can work together uh, on a complete engine, uh, an engine that will end up being, once we run it, the most powerful technologically advanced turboshaft engine in the world. Uh, so we're extremely excited about that first engine and then we're going to use lessons from that first engine uh, to do a, a bit of redesign and we'll run a second engine. Uh, next year, toward the end of next year, and then in between we're, we're doing a couple of studies uh, that will prove technologies for being able to tilt the engine uh, vertically, and uh, as well as using a variable speed power turbine, which uh, is, is a key technology for um, rotorcraft that want to go fast. Yeah, so on that point, it's really the future vertical lift program that the Army's running to replace their Apaches and Blackhawks and Chinooks and you look at the Army today, the Apache and the Blackhawk, they've done spiral upgrades over the past 30 years, but you know the base aircraft was designed in the 70s and sure. fielded in the, in the 80s. And so the Army's looking at how do I, what's my next generation of a vertical lift aircraft, and how do I take advantage of all the technologies that have uh, really come into being in the last 20, 30 years to maximize uh, the efficiency of those aircraft for the mission of, of the military. And one of the things they want to be able to do, as John alluded to, is is go faster and further. And to go faster and still be able to land and take off vertically, you got to operate uh, your lifting surfaces uh, at slower speeds than when you're taking off for max power. Sure. So that the, the two prime configurations are a, uh, a tilt rotor like the V-22, mm -hmm. which when you go into forward airplane mode, you need to slow down the prop to get the most efficiency at those higher speeds, or a coaxial uh, compound helicopter that has two, two main rotors that spin at different, different directions. And the same thing, once you start getting going fast, you want, really want to slow that speed down to maximize the efficiency of the lifting surfaces there. So that's really important for this future vertical lift. And as I mentioned earlier, the whole FATE program is really demonstrating the engine technologies for that future vertical lift program that's you know, going to be the next big acquisition of air aircraft by the U.S. Army uh, in the decades to come. Well, I tell you what, it really sounds like an exciting program. Obviously, there seems to be a lot of benefit for GE, and, uh, and it sounds like for the Army and the, and the Department of Defense, and obviously some of our international customers as well. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, this was a great discussion, and I uh, appreciate you explaining to our, our listeners a little bit more about the, the FATE program and how GE is working with the Army to develop these technologies. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, this is Glenn Davis with GE Aviation.